you have a Bible, turn to the book of Isaiah chapter 6, if you would. Isaiah chapter 6. Two words this morning, ruin and repentance. How's that to start your Sunday morning? Ruin and repentance. I'm guessing that most of you, when you woke up this morning and made the decision to come gather with the church, that um, those two words were not on your mind, ruin and repentance, right? I mean, if you're on your way to a Sunday church gathering or maybe you're headed to a worship event to hear somebody like Hillsong or Passion with Chris Tomlin or Jesus Culture, maybe you're heading to Spirit Song at Kings Island or Winter Jam at U.S. Bank Arena, you're not sitting in the car going, man, I cannot wait to get there and repent. I just cannot wait to get there and just feel so awful about these things that I do. I just can't wait. I mean, you're not sitting there going, yes, I can't wait to just rock it out and think about how awful I am and repent of my sins. Man, how about you? I mean, I don't think that's the conversation that's really happening in the car on your way to one of those events, the, those times of worship together. Yet, when we observe this worship experience that Isaiah has as he encounters the very presence of God, ruin and repentance are responses that we see coming from Isaiah when he encounters the very presence of God himself. So it would seem then that as we look at the book of Isaiah, as we look at Isaiah's responses here, that ruin and repentance are appropriate. They're right. They're even expected responses of worship for those who are in the presence of God. Now, why are ruin and repentance important? I mean, why should we talk about them? I think there's several reasons. Just, well, I'll just hit a couple of them this morning. But ruin and repentance, I think, are important because they expose if you're just going through the motions of worship. If you're just going through the motions. That was the whole problem of, of God's people, right? They were going to church every day. They were playing church. They were singing the songs. And then God says, they worship me with their mouths, but their hearts are far from me. Jerry Gifford, who's a pastor in Kentucky, says this, Those that worship God and never sense that they are inadequate in the sight of God are just going through the motions of worship. They're just going through the motions of worship. And so without ruin and repentance, they're kind of indicators. Am I really in the presence of God? Am, am I, is God there? Am I experiencing God and His holiness? And ruin and repentance are indicators that the presence of God is near. But another reason why I think they're important is because ruin and repentance are usually launching pads that God uses to do something great through His people. And we see that through uh, Isaiah here in Isaiah chapter 6. Um, Charles Spurgeon, p uh, pastor back in the 1800s, he said this, God will never do anything with us until He has first undone us. He will never do anything with us until He has first undone us. And here Isaiah is launched out into ministry, but before he's launched out into ministry, God undone, uh, He, he kind of makes him have this sense of ruin, this awareness of ruin and repentance. We see this in the life of Peter. Jesus shows up on the shore of Galilee. Peter's in the boat with his fishing buddies, and they have the net on one side, and they're trying to catch fish, and they can't catch anything. Jesus shows up and says, hey, fellas, how about you put your net on the other side of the boat? They do it. What happens? Load of fish, comes into the boat. What's Peter's response? Gets out of the boat, goes to Jesus, falls at his feet, and this is what he says. He says, get away from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. And from that point on, Peter had all kinds of different situations with Jesus, but he became a pillar of the first century church. In fact, it's recorded, tradition tells us that Peter was crucified upside down because he did not want to be crucified like his Savior. 
He didn't feel worthy of that. And Peter's journey began with ruin and repentance, but God used him greatly. Another reason I think ruin and repentance are important because when you experience them, you know that the presence of God is near. You know Jesus is close. We're going to see that with Isaiah. We see that with Peter. We see that with John in Revelation chapter 1, verse 17. He says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Why was he falling at his feet as though dead? Because he was in the presence of Jesus. Someone said, the nearer we are to the Lord, the greater sense of our unworthiness. The nearer we are to the Lord, the greater sense of our unworthiness. So how do you know when your heart is true in worship? How do you know when the presence of God is near? What are the the indicators that God might just be preparing to use you greatly for His kingdom and for His name? I think some indicators are this, ruin and repentance. And we've been talking over the past week, we just started a new series called Awestruck, and we've been talking about living this awestruck life in God, living a life of worship, and that life begins with God making Himself known, with God revealing Himself, but it continues with ruin and repentance. And and it's hard, right? Because when we think of worship, we don't really think of responses of worship as being ruin and repentance. We think of lifting up hands. We think of singing songs. We think of playing instruments. And those are all right and true. And my heart is that as a church, we would become more responsive in our worship, not that it's fake or false, but just we become so aware of the presence of God. And music is so important, and God uses it as a tool for us to worship Him, but it's not the only responses of worship. And we see here from Isaiah's encounter with the presence of God that a response of worship is ruin and a response of worship is repentance. You know you've been in the presence of God. You know Jesus is near when you're experiencing ruin and repentance. They may not be what first comes to mind when we think of worship, but there are definite responses when we have worshiped, when you have been in the presence of God. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 5, follow along with me, if you would. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. And this is where we're going to spend this morning in verse 5. He says, Woe to me, Isaiah says. He says, Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. You see, Isaiah's first response to being in the presence of the Lord is this response of ruin. It's this response of ruin. He says, woe to me. Now, the word woe has this idea of grief, misery, distress, and it's often related to judgment, God's judgment for our sin. In fact, Isaiah's whole mission, his whole job description was to be God's spokesperson pronouncing woe on God's people and other nations who were rebelling against him. But in this case, rather than Isaiah saying, hey, listen, woe to you because God's going to judge you for your sin, who's Isaiah giving the woe to? To himself, he says, woe to me, I cried. Woe to me. And he's feeling this incredible sense of grief and sorrow. And he says, I am ruined. And the word ruined there means I'm undone, I'm doomed, I'm destroyed, I'm done for. I should not be here. 
And underlying it has this idea of just, I'm so overwhelmed with my sin and the fact that God's holiness and who He is that I, I can't even speak. There's a sense of silence. I don't even know what to say. If I were to define ruin, I would define it as a deep awareness of your own sin. A deep awareness of your own sin. He says, for I am ruined. I am ruined. It's an awareness of your unworthiness to be in the presence of God. It's this deep grieving over the awfulness of your sin. Alexander McLaren, a Scottish pastor, says this, if you see God, you will see your sin. If you see God, you will see your sin. That's exactly what happens with Isaiah. Isaiah enters the presence of God. He becomes keenly aware and sorrowful and distressed knowing that he deserves hell for his sins. He knows that he and God can't mix. I mean, they just, they're so different. God is so holy and so worthy, and he is not. It's like oil and water. They just should not. They, they can't go together. And Isaiah, what he does when he sees God in comparison to himself, he says, yes, I deserve the wages for my sin. I deserve those wages. I deserve death for my sin. I deserve separation for God. And I believe he's reminded of God's words when God himself says, no one will see me and live. And so he's deeply, deeply aware that he is a sinner. And he's going, wow, I can't stay here. If I stay here, I'm undone. I deserve God's judgment for my sin. Ruin looks like Peter when he cries, get away from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. In Luke chapter 5, it looks like John in Revelation when he says, I saw the Lord and I fell at his face as though dead. And it looks like Paul, leader of the church, follower of Christ, when he says, Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Paul was still aware of the magnitude of his sin. You see, when you are and I are awestruck with the holiness of God, you will be awestruck with the unholiness of your own heart. The problem when you and I don't experience ruin is because we don't have a right view of who God is. We think too highly of ourselves and too little of the person of Jesus Christ. This is not going to be one of those feel-good messages, okay? I'm just going to throw it out there. I can sense it. I know it. But it's real, and it's worship, and ruin and repentance are responses of worship, and we see it all throughout Scripture. But we think too little of Jesus and too much of ourselves. I remember a time when I experienced deep ruin, not only that moment when I was 12 and praying at my father or my mom and dad's bedside, crying, knowing that I I was a sinner. It was the Spirit of God who had drawn me to to God, and I was so aware that I deserved hell for my sin. I remember praying on my mom and dad's bedside, just saying, Jesus, forgive me for my sin. I know I deserve hell hell for my sin, but I'm thankful that you did not leave me there, that you came, Jesus, and rescued me. But a time, I remember very vividly when I experienced ruin, this deep awareness of my sin was back when the movie The Passion of the Christ was released. At that time, I was a youth pastor here in Covington, and we had the idea that it would be pretty neat and pretty incredible opportunity for us to do a private screening of that movie at uh, the Great Escape Theaters here in Wilder, Kentucky. And so we invited all the students, all the teens from the church, their parents, and anyone else that wanted to come, they could come and join us. And so it was just us in the theater. And so I remember sitting there, and they were, you know, you're watching the movie, The Passion of the Christ. And I had thought, okay, what are we going to do when this is over? So I had planned this 
I'll bring my guitar out and we'll sing a worship song. I was thinking, and when the movie's over, like typical, right, people just kind of get up and they leave and whatever. But I, I didn't want that. I thought, hey, what we'll do is we'll just kind of, as the movie's kind of winding down, I'll go to the front and I'll pull out my guitar and I'll sing the song and we'll just kind of pray and everybody will leave. That never happened. Because at the very end of that movie, I remember sitting there and there was incredible silence. No one said anything. Not a word. All you heard were maybe tears and crying. And nobody moved. No one moved. You know why? Because there's this deep awareness that we had been in the presence of God. As we had seen the life and death and resurrection of Christ portrayed, we had become deeply aware that we were undeserving of anything that he gave us. It's ruin. And I'm concerned for the church because I, feel, I believe that in many ways we, have, we think too highly of ourselves and we have such a small view of the bigness and holiness of God and who He is. And what we spend too much time doing is comparing ourselves to others that are worse than us because that's the only people we compare ourselves to. We never compare ourselves to people that are more righteous than us. Come on. Well, at least I'm not that bad. I don't do what he does. I don't do what she does. That's not Isaiah. Isaiah is in the presence of God. Who's he comparing himself to? To Jesus. And he has this deep awareness of his own sin. And like God said to the people of Israel, he said, you don't even blush at sin anymore. You don't even feel shame over sin. Instead, we laugh at it. When our little kids sin, we laugh at them. Oh, he just told a lie. Oh, he's just being a kid. You know, he'll get over it. He's sinning. Or we laugh at our own sin or we justify it. Well, if she didn't say that to me, then I wouldn't have gone, really? That's not Isaiah here. He's in the presence of God and he's overwhelmed with the holiness and the perfection of God. And he says, woe to me. I am ruined. So it's a response of worship. And isn't it interesting that when dignitaries typically come into a room and people are seated, what do people do? They stand. You know what people do when Jesus comes into a room? They fall. They fall. That's the presence of Jesus. You know Jesus is near when you are deeply aware that you are undeserving of anything he gives you anything. It's ruin. And this response of ruin, I think, reveals to us that God at His core is holy. And it reveals that Isaiah is in the presence of God, that Jesus is near. Ruin is a response of worship. When was the last time you became so conscious and aware of His holiness and His presence that you were deeply aware of your own sin? But Isaiah doesn't stay, stay there. He moves on. He has this experience of this, this encounter with the presence of God, and he responds with, woe to me, I am ruined, this, this response of ruin. But it leads him to repentance because he says, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. He doesn't say, I do sinful things. He says, I am a sinner. It's who I am. I sin because I'm a sinner. I am unclean. It's my character. I am impure 
Now, it's interesting that he uses unclean lips, and maybe it's because that's what he's going to do is his job. He's going to be God's spokesperson, and much of what he's going to do for God is going to come from his mouth. But I think there's more here. I think lips are indicative of character, as someone says, and we know that because Jesus said, out of the mouth, what speaks? The heart. The heart. You know what's in a heart by what comes out of your mouth. And so I believe Isaiah is understanding that at the core of who I am, I am unclean, I'm impure, I'm unworthy of anything that God gives me. I'm unworthy of just being in the presence of Jesus. And he acknowledges that he's a sinner. We tell our kids to say, just own it. You know, when you make a mistake or something, just own it. We use that phrase in our house, just please, we know you did it. Stop trying to get around it, just own it. That's exactly what Isaiah is doing. He's saying he's owning it. He's like, no, 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 I'm not blaming my sin on my upbringing or whatever. I'm blaming it because that's who I am. I am a sinner. I'm not blaming it on my sister or my husband or my wife or my neighbors or whatever. I'm blaming. It's me. It's my fault. I am owning it. He's acknowledging. So if, if, if ruin is an awareness, a deep grieving and an awareness of our sin against God, Repentance is an acknowledgement to God that we are sinners. And that's exactly what he's doing. He's acknowledging this. He's in the presence of God, and he's saying this out loud to God. God's hearing this. I'm a man of unclean lips. Repentance flows out of an awareness of your own sin, and that you're a sinner. And repentance involves change. It's like you're turning from your sin, turning to a desire to be obedient to God. And that's what happens with Isaiah. He realizes I'm ruined. I don't deserve to be here. I'm aware of my sin. I'm acknowledging my sin to the Lord. And then his response is, I'm going to follow the Lord. I'm going to do what God has called me to do. It's repentance. And it looks like Jesus' words to the churches in Revelation. And what does he tell the church? He says, you all need to repent of your sexual immorality. You need to repent of your lukewarmness. It's what he's telling the church. Sometimes I think we just feel like repentance is only for the non-Christian when they become a Christian. What we see is repentance is also for the Christian. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know who that's written to? It's written to the church. It's written to the church. But we're so flippant with sin that we don't even think about sin anymore. We've lost the presence of God. We've lost in the sense of our sight of the presence of God. Repentance looks like King David when he says in Psalm 32, I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. Repentance looks like Paul to the church in Corinth. Paul writes a letter and confronts them on their sin. And look what he says. He says, yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow, ruin, led you to repentance. He's talking to the church. Repentance, as someone said, is not exclusively for the unbeliever turning from sin to Christ and becoming a Christian, but also with ongoing faith. Repentance should be normative for the Christian. Yes, Christ's death on the cross removed from us the penalty of our sins, but until Christ returns, we still deal with the presence of sin. And when we do sin, we need to repent of that sin, confess our sins to the Lord. Remember back in that same screening of the Passion of the Christ, I remember sitting there in my seat, and it was during the scene when they were visualizing the beating of Jesus. 
And I remember just sitting there with my, I couldn't walk, just sitting there, tears streaming down my face. And the only thing that I could utter in that moment was, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I am sorry. I knew it was my sin that he was taking. The punishment for my sin he was taking. All I could think was, it's my it's my fault. I'm, the, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's repentance. It's acknowledging to God that you are a sinner and you're deserving of whatever judgment he deems. I feel like sometimes you and I don't repent more, and I can speak for myself here, not for you, is because we experience little sorrow over our sin because we think too highly of ourselves. And we think too highly of ourselves because we spend so little time in the presence of of Jesus. And I think another reason we don't repent as Christians because we don't think we need to. Well, Jesus, right? I mean, he died on the cross for my sins. Absolutely. He took the penalty. You will never, ever be condemned or pronounced guilty for your sins and experience that punishment. That's why Jesus went to the cross. But just like with any relationship, repentance for the Christian is not about condemnation. It's about communion. It's like a relationship. If I keep offending my wife, Andrea, right, and I keep doing things over and over and over again, and I never come to her and apologize, is that going to affect our relationship? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's gonna re- well, I'm not going to want to go to her. I'm going to feel guilty. And then, isn't that what happens with sin? Right? We sin, and then we never repent. We never have that desire to change, and then we, we find we spend less and less time with Jesus. And we just get farther and farther. Then we say, why isn't Jesus showing up in my life? Well, check your heart. Check, is there sin going on? You need to repent of that sin. Repentance for the Christian is not about condemnation. It's about communion, having that communion, that intimacy with the one who died on the cross so you would not have to experience pain for your sin, judgment for your sin. Repentance is a response of worship just as ruin is. And if you're a child of God, when you are awestruck with the presence of God, when you're awestruck with Jesus you will respond with repentance if you're his child. But we need not stop here. There's hope and there is grace that we see here. You see, Isaiah's responses of ruin and repentance came because he was in the presence of Jesus. They were produced because of the revelation of Jesus Christ that he'd experienced. You see, being in the presence of holy King Jesus is what produced worship in the heart of Isaiah. Jesus was the central focus of this worship. It was not, I hope we sing songs that I like. I hope that, you know, this guy's playing or leading. I hope that, man, I wish we did more of this in worship or whatever. And that's just a one aspect of worship, right? Jesus was the focus of the worship. And when Jesus is the central focus of our worship, We become deeply aware of our own sin when we're in the presence of Him. And when we become deeply aware of our own sin as a child of God, because we love Him and what He's done for us, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Jesus. Forgive me. See, it was being in the presence of Jesus that made Peter fall to his knees. It was being in the presence of Jesus that made John fall to his knees. It was being in the presence of Jesus that made Paul fall off his horse. Ruin comes from being awestruck with the revealed King Jesus. Repentance comes from being awestruck with the revealed King Jesus. And this doesn't just happen 
on a Sunday morning or at some worship event. I remember a couple of weeks ago, I was just in our bedroom just reading the scriptures, and I was reading the book of Jeremiah, and I went through all of this. I just went through all of it. I was reading that passage where God says, man, you just don't blush at sin anymore. And so here I'm becoming great, deeply aware of who God is and his holiness. And I remember sitting there and just going, God, I am sorry. I don't blush at sin anymore. My own heart. Forgive me, repentance. And then I was overcome with great joy. You know why? Because of grace, because of redemption, because God provided his son to redeem me from the guilt of my sin so I don't have to stay there. (laughs) I can walk through that because of what he's done for me. That's exactly what we see here in Isaiah. And we'll get spend more time on this part piece of redemption. We'll do that next Sunday. But you experience this all throughout life. Through through as you go through a day, you think an impure thought immediately, God, I am sorry. Where why are you thinking when you acknowledge and become aware that you thought something impure, that means the Spirit of God is in you, making you aware of that. So that means Jesus is near. And so when you recognize that, say, forgive me, Jesus. You've experienced ruin. Forgive me, repentance. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me because you've forgiven me of the penalty of that sin. That's redemption. And there's this whole worship, this flow of worship. We talk about that on, for our Sunday gatherings. What's the flow of worship? How do we want to, what we see here is a flow of worship. Jesus makes himself known, revealed King Jesus. I don't deserve you, Jesus. It's ruined. I'm deeply ruined because of who I am. Forgive me. That's repentance. And Jesus says, I will come to you and I will forgive you and free you of the guilt of your sin and I will rescue you and so that you don't have to be out of my presence actually you can be in my presence forever and that leads to joy out of gratitude for who he is and what he's done for us and it can happen multiple times throughout a day multiple times for the child of God it's living in the spirit walking in the spirit being aware of what he's doing you see worship flows out of a heart that's been in the presence of of Jesus. It flows out of a heart that's been in the presence of Jesus. And maybe you and I aren't experiencing ruin and we're not repenting. It's because we're not spending time in the presence of Jesus. We're thinking too highly of ourselves and what people think about us. So we post really what's fake on Facebook. It's not really what's going on in our hearts. Or we'll post it, we'll take pictures or whatever. But really in our hearts, we're so far from the Lord. We're so far because We're not spending time in his presence. But the beautiful thing is that the same God who made Isaiah deeply aware of his own sin is the God who said, I love you so much, I will come and rescue you. (laughs) I will come and rescue you because I love you so much that I will come, I want you to be with me all the time. So I'm going to come. In fact, I'm going to send my son who's going to die a bloody death on a cross. That's how much I love you because without him doing that, you are away from me. But because I love you so much and want you to be with me, I will send him to you to take the penalty you deserve for your sins so that you don't have to leave my presence. You can be with me forever. Let us never, ever lose the beauty of who God is and what he's done for us in the cross. Because without him and the cross and resurrection, we remain ruined. We remain there. And so as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, you don't have to stay there because of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. I'm going to ask the band to come. We're going to sing a song, but before we actually sing this song, I 
I want us to have a time of response this morning. What's Jesus saying to you this morning? What's he saying to you? Paul wrote this. You don't have to stay in the pit of ruin. And after repentance, you can rejoice because of Romans 3, 20, Romans 3, 24 and 25, which says, Yet God, with undeserved kindness, declares that we are righteous. And he did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. And through that, God, this big, huge, holy God, brings you to himself because of what he did for us through his son. You now as a child of God are in the presence of God forever. And you and I do not deserve that. And so when we experience the flow of worship, of ruin to repentance, you do not stay there as a child of God. You rejoice. You rejoice because of His grace expressed to you in the person of His Son. So what's Jesus saying to you? What's He saying to you this morning? As they begin to play, you see some different newsprints throughout the room in the back. There's markers there. There's pieces of paper there. I just want to take, uh, take a few minutes for you to respond to Jesus this morning. Maybe you just want to write a prayer out. Kids, you're welcome too. And you just want to write a prayer out to Jesus. What's he saying to you this morning? What's he saying to you? Ruin, repentance, redemption, rejoice. What's he saying? There's pens on the sides too, but just the next five minutes is just going to be quiet. You and Jesus. What's he saying to you? Make your way, if you like, to the newsprint and feel free to express your heart to God there.